Clay Baker. I'm the Burlington campus pastor. It's been about three months since I last preached, a little longer than usual. In that time, I've uh, gone on a family vacation. I've uh, been to a couple weddings. We've had three rounds of sickness go through our family. Then, of course, there's been the usual good stuff, baptism class and membership class. So it's been a full three months for the Baker household, Uh, some good and some not as good. But I'm really glad to be back and be able to have the opportunity to preach God's word this morning and to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, the Iowa Hawkeyes. (laughs) Yeah, E. I think we're going to need a group therapy session this morning. You know, so Chris was rough on my Hawkeyes last week, and, you know, I was prepared to stand up here and give a full-throated defense of my team, but after yesterday and after a couple weeks ago against Purdue... I got nothing. I got nothing. And Hawk fans, you know my pain. You also know that as fans, uh, the fans in the media, we want to talk about quarterback play, and we want to talk about the offense, and we want to talk about play calling. But you know that our coach, our beloved coach Ference, he doesn't have any of that stuff. (laughs) Well, he doesn't have any of that stuff, and he won't have any of that kind of talk. No matter what, he always redirects the conversation back to the basics. And for him, he believes that at its core, football is a game of blocking, tackling, and taking care of the football. And so if the Hawkeyes are blocking, tackling, and taking care of the football, then more often than not, they're going to win. And if they're not doing those things, like they haven't been doing those things, then as he likes to say, it's hard to win a football game. And we have seen that play out. So while us fans want to talk about all sorts of things about our team, for Coach Ference, it always gets back to the basics. In our sermon series, Brokenness and Beautiful, or Brokenness and Beauty, there's a lot of things about sex and relationships that we could talk about, and things that we have talked about, and things that we will talk about. But today, we're going to get back to basics. We're going to consider what God's word has to say what his most basic design is for the most fundamental relationship in human existence. And that's the relationship between husband and wife. You see, if we're not careful, we can miss the basics of marriage, what it is and why it matters. And so that's what we're going to be considering today. Not the Iowa Hawkeyes, mercifully, but marriage. And there's no better place we can turn to to consider marriage than Genesis chapter 2. All the way at the beginning of your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2. You can go ahead and turn there now if you haven't already. We're going to be spending most of our time in just one verse. That's verse 24. But to set up the context, I'm going to begin reading starting at verse 18. So please read along with me. Genesis 18, Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said... It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. 
Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Here we have in the earliest parts of scripture the very first marriage. It was not good for Adam to be alone. He needed a helper fit for him. The animals would not do, so God put Adam to sleep and he removed his rib. And from the very same stuff of which man was made, God made woman. Bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. She was the helper fit for him. And then like a father presenting his daughter, the bride, to her groom, God presents the woman to Adam. And then he presides over this very first wedding ceremony where the two become one. And then the author of Genesis notes that this first union of man and woman in marriage, it really, it sets the pattern for all of mankind. In verse 24, he says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage is the foundational human relationship. Before there were mothers and fathers and sons and daughters and brothers and sisters, there was husband and wife. And verse 24 is the foundational verse in all of scripture about marriage. You see, it not only describes God's design for marriage, but it's also quoted by the apostle Paul and Jesus Christ himself in their teachings on marriage. And so verse 24 is a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. Just like blocking, tackling, and taking care of the ball are the basics of football. If we look closely at verse 24, we actually see the basics of marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The outline for this sermon could be leave, hold fast, and become one flesh. But as Pastor Chris reminded us a couple of years ago when he preached this verse, there's a much better outline for this because it rhymes. Leave cleave and weave. Leave, cleave, and weave. That's the outline for this sermon. Those are the basic elements of marriage, leaving, cleaving, and weaving. If you want a marriage, 
If you want a marriage that glorifies God and makes something beautiful out of two broken individuals that have become one, then you must leave, cleave, and weave. So we're going to consider each of these in turn, starting with leave. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Now, when we think of leave, we naturally think of physical leaving, like going away, as in the son is moving out of his parents' house and he's going to a different house to live with his wife. That's not actually what the text is referring to. You see, in ancient Israel, it was really common for the man to remain in his father's household and for his wife to come live with him, either in or around the same house as the man's parents. And every wife in the room is saying, I'm so glad we don't live in ancient Israel. (laughs) But regardless, we've got to be careful not to import our modern American cultural norms into the biblical Text. This is not referring to a physical leaving of the parent's house. What the text is saying is that your spouse must become your number one human relationship. It's no longer mom and dad. It's husband and wife. And that's profound because the fifth commandment is actually to what? Honor your father and your mother. So are married people still supposed to honor their father and their mother? Of course they are. Of course they are. But in your marriage, your spouse must actually come before the honoring of your mother and your father. And this goes both ways. This goes both ways, this leaving thing. You see, spouses must make each other their number one human relationship, but parents should support their married children in them making each other their number one relationship. You know, sometimes I think parents struggle with this, maybe even a little more than the kids do. See, even as a parent of young kids, really young kids, I'm already experiencing this struggle in a way that kind of like anticipates things to come. So the other day, I I told my wife that I just wanted to throw up at the thought of my daughter Louise going to prom with some guy. (laughs) And she is too. (laughs) And my wife, very helpfully, reminded me, well, honey, that's how you and I started dating. We went to prom. I know! (laughs) That's the problem! That means someday I'm going to lose my little girl. Someday she's not going to crawl up on my lap in our big brown chair and look at me with her big big brown eyes and go, Daddy, I want to watch Bluey. (laughs) And that's a bummer. And she always gets what she wants when she looks at me in that way. But that is a major bummer to think about. You see, parents, we've got this instinct to hold on to our kids, to protect them, to nurture them. And that is good and right up to a point. Up to a point. But you know, it can get pretty unhealthy and unbiblical pretty quick. I mean, I've already got this hypothetical future husband in my mind for my daughter, and he's not measuring up. (laughs) 
And that's not right. That's not good. I got to get that figured out. So I can only imagine what it is like to have a child who is married to a husband or a wife that you don't think is suitable for him or for her. I know what I would want to do. I know I would want to intervene. I know I'd want to criticize. I know I'd want to remind my daughter of how great she is and how she deserves better, maybe explicitly or maybe just implicitly with tone and pressure and looks. But that's not God's way. It's not God's way. If the Lord, if the Lord were to give Louise, my little Louise, a husband, I should want her to look at him and to know and to feel that he is the best and only man for her. And I should be talking him up, not tearing him down. And I should be encouraging their time together, not demanding more time from her. See, if the Lord ever makes me a father-in-law, my calling is still going to be to hold fast to my wife and not to hold fast to my kids. So parents, parents should support and encourage the marriage relationships of their married children. And go in the other direction. Like I said, this goes both ways. Go in the other direction. Children must leave their father and their mother. Now, we, we've talked about that's not really talking about physical leaving, although that could be a thing. But one significant way, I'm pretty sure every married couple struggles with this leaving, especially newlyweds, is through expectations. Expectations. Every premarital counseling book has a section on the expectations that the man and the woman bring into the marriage. And nothing shapes those expectations more than living with mom and dad. You know what I mean, right? Like, if mom did all the cooking, then surely my wife is going to do all the cooking? Or if dad always did the lawn mowing, then surely my husband's always going to do the lawn mowing, and on and on and on. There's example after example, but every married couple must navigate these expectations. And where we can really struggle is when we've got mom or dad on a pedestal. We've got them up here, and we've got husband or wife down here. And in some way, they're not measuring up to how great things were with mom or dad. And that's where we get into trouble, because that's when we can start to grumble and complain, first inwardly, then outwardly, then we criticize, then we condemn. And it can get really ugly really quick. You know, I could go on and on and on about this idea of leaving and how kids struggle to do it and how parents struggle to let their kids go. We got two other points to get to. And quite honestly, the more I talk, the more I have this sense that I'm going to dig holes all over the place that I'm probably not going to be able to climb out of. So if you want the the clay gets in trouble version of this section, you got to talk to me later in private, okay? So we're going to move on. But before I do, I want to say one thing to parents and one thing to married children. Parents, if you have a child who's married, 
do a heart check and ask God to show you the ways that you are not supporting your child's relationship with his or her spouse. Maybe it's criticism, maybe it's time demands, whatever it is, whatever God shows you, be honest with him and yourself, and whatever he shows you, repent of it, ask for forgiveness for it, ask for forgiveness from your kid and their spouse, and then move forward together with them and with God in a new and better way. And kids in here who are married, not little kids, but husbands and wives, do a heart check yourselves. We need to ask God to show us the ways that we are still holding mom or dad up here and husband and wife down here. Whether that's through our time or our affection or our admiration or whatever it might be, our comparisons, ask God to show you the way you're holding mom and dad up here and husband and wife down here and whatever he shows you, repent of it. Turn from it, ask for forgiveness from him and from your husband or your wife and move forward with him or her in a new and better way. All right, so that's leaving. That's leaving. Now let's talk about cleaving. Leave, cleave. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife. So we're not talking meat cleavers here. Not, it's a different kind of cleave. It's actually the opposite, which is super confusing. We're talking an old word for sticking together, sticking together. So the King James Version is, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. This word cleave, it's really important because not only is it used here in Genesis 2.24 to describe marriage, but it's actually used elsewhere in scripture to describe our relationship with or the, the relationship of God and his people. So for example, Deuteronomy 10.20 says, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold fast or cleave to him, to God. So the, the verb, this verb that we are called to in our marriage relationships, it's actually the same verb that we're called to in our relationship with God. We're to cleave to or hold fast to him. And that points to the fact that our marriage relationship, like our relationship with God, is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant relationship. Say the word with me, covenant. One more time, covenant, good. Marriage is a covenant. The essential feature of a covenant is this exchange, a solemn exchange of vows or promises. And that's exactly what we actually still do in wedding ceremonies. The bride and the groom stand up there before God and for the assembled witnesses and they exchange vows to one another to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, Something, something, I don't know, for as long as we both shall live or until death do us part. And then sometimes they even say, this is my solemn vow. In ancient times, covenants were very serious arrangements. They were not entered into lightly and they were not to be broken. 
You know, I've read that divorce statistics are hard to measure, but that the best guess is that about 45% of all marriages end in divorce. Now, that didn't surprise me because we probably all heard that statistic thrown around, like half of all marriages end in divorce. And I could spend a considerable amount of time lamenting the pain that's caused by divorce. I've, I've experienced that pain. I have seen that pain. And I'm sure many of you have as well. And we could spend a lot of time talking about that. But one thing that did surprise me in my reading is that the divorce rate is actually not on the rise. It's actually in decline. And one of the reasons that's most likely to be contributing to that decline is that the marriage rate is in decline. So in other words, people aren't getting divorced as much because people aren't getting married as much. So I could come up here and we could go on and on lamenting divorce, and that would be fine. But given this decline, this trend in marriage at all, I'm going to instead give a pitch for covenantal marriage. And I hope that this is edifying for those who are single and those who are married in the room. I'm going to give a pitch for covenantal marriage by sharing a brief story with you. Last week, I had the privilege of visiting the home of a couple who had been married for 51 years. The husband was in hospice care at home, and I was invited to come visit with him and his wife and pray with him. I had not met this couple, but I knew their family. I knew a little bit about their situation. I knew that for the last five years or so, the husband's health has been in decline. And I knew that for about the last two and a half years or so, his wife has cared for him physically in just about every way, day after day. When I arrived, the wife greeted me, and by the grace of God, my expectations were turned upside down. I had expected to find a wife that was just burdened and down and tired. But instead, I found a wife who, though sad, was warm and lively. There was life in her, and she greeted me warmly, and she ushered me into the room where her husband lay in his bed, his hospice bed. And this man that I had never met, he lit up with a smile on his face as I entered the room. And all around him, all around this room were pictures Pictures of them, the husband and the wife and their kids and their grandkids and their friends and their family, all these warm and wonderful memories they've made. And it struck me in that moment that this, the the wife's spirit and the husband's joy and the memories that surrounded him, this was the fruit of 51 years 
of covenant marriage. Year after year, they had labored in covenant marriage. They had held fast. They had cleaved to each other. And even in the last days, they were reaping the harvest. For those of you who aren't married, but who desire a relationship, or maybe you're in a relationship, don't settle for anything less than that. Don't settle for anything less than someone who is willing to stand up before God and others and commit to you that he will love you and have and hold you for better, for worse, in sickness and health, for richer, for poorer, as long as you both shall live. Single people do not settle for anything less than that. And married folks, those of us who are married, I hope that encourages you to hold fast. I hope that story might even breathe new life, new commitment, new resolve in you to hold fast. If your marriage is hard, if it has lost its warmth, its joy, if you're thinking, of giving up. I urge you, I implore you, I plead with you to hold fast, to cleave, to fight for your marriage, to remember your covenant vows that you made, that you made before God, to hold on to your wife or your husband for as long as you both shall live. And if that's you, if that's you this morning in this room, and you're thinking of giving up, you're thinking of throwing in the towel. I pray this is speaking to you, but I also pray that you would get help. That you wouldn't try to do it alone. That you would not only invite the Lord into the situation, but you would invite other brothers and sisters in the Lord into the situation to walk with you in your brokenness as you heal. It's my plea for you. All right, so we've talked about leaving. We've talked about cleaving. Now let's talk about weaving. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This weaving together of husband and wife into a new one flesh reality, it refers not only to the physical act of sex that consummates the marriage, but it also refers to this profound emotional and spiritual unity that characterizes a married couple. You see, the oneness between a husband and a wife is so comprehensive that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 can say that when a husband loves his wife, he's really loving himself. That's how connected they are, that's how one they are. And this isn't Paul condemning husbands for being selfish. He's just acknowledging the reality of this new one flesh relationship. Husbands and wives are united in a way that is far more profound than the physical act of sex and the implications of their union go far beyond 
just their own marriage relationship itself. You see, this statement that Paul makes that when husbands love their wives, they're really loving themselves, is actually part of a passage of scripture where he's describing the marriage relationship. And in this passage, he draws a straight line from the husband and wife relationship to the relationship between Christ and his church. Paul calls wives to submit to their husbands as the church submits to the Lord. And he calls husbands to love their wives, to give of themselves in love for their wives as Christ loved and gave of himself for us, the church. And then he quotes Genesis 2.24, our passage, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says, this Mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage. The mystery of marriage. The one flesh, new reality woven together. Mystery of marriage refers to Christ and the church. Brothers and sisters, that's why your marriage matters. That's why I and Paul, the word, can plead with you to hold fast, to leave, to weave. Because ultimately, your marriage isn't about you. It is about you and it's about the Lord and his glory. The quality of our weaving, the degree to which wives humbly submit to their husbands in the Lord and husbands self-sacrificially love their wives as Christ loved the church is the degree to which our marriages, your marriage will testify to the world of Christ's love for you and for them. You see, God wants you. He wants you to have a healthy, fulfilling, satisfying, rich, awesome marriage for yourselves, for your good, for your pleasure, and and ultimately for his glory, his fame, his renown. Your marriage is not just about you. It's about your kids and your grandkids and your friends and your neighbors and testifying to them about how your love for your broken spouse is only possible because our Lord loves, first loved, broken us, broken you. And yet he can make us whole and become one with us. You can love broken husband or broken wife and become one with her or with him because Jesus loved broken you and became one with you. That's why your marriage matters. Our marriages are witnesses to the gospel of Christ. He left, Jesus left his heavenly father to take on flesh to die for our sins in our place 
so that he could keep, be faithful to his promises of holding fast to us, of never leaving or forsaking us, not leaving us in our sin or in our death. He left so that he could hold fast and then he weaves us together with him in one spirit. That's leaving, cleaving, and weaving and Jesus did it. Jesus did it for us. He did it for you. And that's what he calls us to in our marriages. But first, that's what he calls us to as individuals. He offers forgiveness. He offers healing. He offers restoration. He offers beauty to anyone who would turn in their brokenness and humility and repent and turn to him in faith. That's when he comes in and that's when he mends and that's when he repairs and that's when he restores. And he offers that to anyone, anyone who would repent and believe onto him. And then he offers to do it in our marriages. Then he offers to do it in our marriages when we're broken in our marriage, when we're hurting in our marriage, when we're lifeless in our marriage, if we would repent and turn and acknowledge in our humility that Lord Jesus, we need you. We need you to restore this, this one flesh relationship, this new reality. It's tearing apart. But when you invite him in, that's when he comes in, that's when he sows, that's when he mends. That's when in the power of his spirit, he weaves back together. Church, leaving, cleaving and weaving, they're the basics of marriage, they're the basics of the Christian life. We're all called to leave father and mother, everything behind, cleave unto the Lord and weave ourselves together with him. And so we're all called, married or single, we're all called to grow in our relationship with the Lord. So church, let's get back to basics. Married or single, every single one of us, let's get back to basics. If you haven't confessed your sins, your need of him, if you're sitting here unsaved, broken, unrestored, unhealed, turn in faith to him today. And if you're sitting here happily married or not, I'm sure there's a broken place in your life somewhere. Maybe it's not your marriage. Maybe it's that sin that you want to keep in the dark. I'm sure there's an area of brokenness in your life somewhere today, right now, that you can turn to the Lord in humility. Let him in, shine the light on it, allow him to come in and heal. And so church, that's my call to all of us today. Married or single, let's invite the Lord into our lives. Brokenness and beauty, that's the sermon series. Let's be broken. Let's acknowledge our brokenness and let's invite him in to restore our souls, to restore us as individuals, to restore us as married couples, to restore us as one flesh, new reality, husband and wife. And in that way, let's allow the Lord to build us up, build us up together into his image, his beauty, his bride, the church. Please pray with me.